Hello and welcome to Rocket Accelerated Geek Conversation. This episode is brought to you by Text Expander and Pocket Casts. I'm Simone de Rochefort, senior video producer at Polygon, and I'm joined today by Christina Warren, senior cloud developer advocate at Microsoft, and Brianna Wu, executive director of Rebellion Pack. Uh, how are we doing on this Tuesday, this Tuesday night, the night before the M1 reviews come out? <laughs> I feel like someone snuck into my house and bashed me over the head with daylight savings time. I have been <laughs> so off for two days. I was up. I had to take a sleeping pill on Monday night because this thing threw me off so much. And last night, I'm up at three in the morning, not able to sleep. I now, hate daylight savings time, y'all. When that's happening... Yes. Are you playing Elden Ring? <laughs> um, I'm just curious because like when I find myself awake at 3.30 in the morning, I usually I like look around and I take stock of my surroundings and check in with myself emotionally and realize that I'm playing Elden Ring <laughs> and my hands are clamped around the controller in a sweaty, tight grip and my the, my whole body is tense and I'm just playing Elden Ring is the I thing. I wasn't, but only because I spent all Saturday and Sunday playing Elden Ring, mm. and I was so burnt out on it. And also, by that time, Stranger Paradise had come out, and you know how I feel oh, about killing chaos. Waiting. I'm very pro-killing chaos. I want to yes. kill chaos. So, you Someone know, has I, was, to. I, I was definitely doing that at 12 o'clock this morning. <laughs> All right, well, let's get into the show today. Uh, we've already hinted somewhat at what our first topic is going to be. Uh, stay tuned for later in the show when we talk about some AMD processor news. But first up, the United States Senate has passed a bill called the Sunshine Protection Act. That bill would uh, make daylight savings time permanent. No more falling back in fall. No more daylight standard time, only daylight savings time. Uh, the bill still needs to pass through the House where no one knows what will happen to it and be signed by President Biden, uh, question mark. But by 2023, fall 2023, potentially, we could no longer be falling back. Notably, this is a bipartisan bill. Finally. Right. <laughs> no, that, OK, this is the shocking thing to me because people have strong opinions about daylight savings time. Uh, as Bree just expressed, and this passed unanimously, which in this Senate is unanimously, which in this Senate is impressive. It's so it's incredibly funny is what it is. And also <laughs> shocking. Like, you're right that it's shocking because I truly, with the state of American politics, expect every little thing to become an issue somehow. Like, I would not be surprised if somebody came out of the woodwork with some kind of like culture war-esque excuse for why we need to fall back in the fall. Um, right. But no, right. Well, no and yeah. it's like Sinema and Rubio that are like, screw, <laughs> screw falling back, screw daylight savings time and waking up an hour earlier in spring. We're done with this BS. Let us well, always Kristen have Cinema it. Well, Kristen doesn't have to worry about it. She's in Arizona. This is true. She already yeah. has it, yeah. She, she already has Okay, well, uh, well, how it works, though, is that Arizona is always on uh, standard time, so they don't they don't acknowledge daylight savings at all. So what this would essentially do, because they're mountain time, and I got confused about this on Twitter, because as confusing. we'll discuss, time zones and date offsets are hard. Um but what this would essentially do, which would be great for everyone, is it would it would take Arizona out of its stupid bubble of being like 
the one state that is, I mean, there's like also one city in Indiana, but I don't really care about <laughs> them. Um, but, but it'd be like the one state who like insists on doing things their own way. And it would put Arizona effectively on Pacific time, which Interesting. Yes, they should be. So this is very confusing to me. And it is actually one side effect of my reading up on this was that I think I might be too dumb to understand how time works. <laughs> uh, I, I bring to you actually this quote from a New York Times piece. Um, so they went out and they talked to like sleep scientists and um, people who've done studies on sleep habits and daylight time. And there is this particular paragraph, which I will read to you now from an article that I have in the show notes. Sleep scientists point out that standard time, winter time, is more closely Mm -hmm. aligned with the sun's progression. They say that bright mornings help people wake up and stay alert, while dark nights allow for the production of melatonin, the hormone that triggers sleep. So far, so good. When it is too light at night, it can be hard to fall asleep. When it is too dark in the morning, it can be hard to wake up. Now, this seems factually true. However, my confusion lies with the fact that it, it, it it's 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 still gonna get dark at night right right yeah i have to say this. i read this and i was just like you shut the f- scientists <laughs> i do not want to hear your bull right now go write me 20 papers on this if you derail this with right. your stupid academic I will defund everything in your life. I will defund your children's schools. I am so done with this and just give it a rest. Do not, we got Republicans and Democrats agreeing on this. Do not mess this up. Shut up. I'm so, I'm literally so confused. And I did, so there is a website that some of my colleagues linked in Slack, which I will also put in the show notes, that lets you calculate what, um, what your days will look like in your state should this pass. So like, what if right. we were always on standard? What if we were always on daylight savings time? And I think there are something like 90-ish days in New York where the sun would not rise until 7 a.m. or later on yes. permanent daylight savings time. Okay. Yes, this is true. This is true. Um, But like, but that's this is not, also... It's barely anything. No, it's not. Also, also here's the thing. Like, this is how longitude and latitude works. This is how time zones work. Like, this is one of the trade-offs of those things. Mm -hmm. Like, in Finland, um, there are a couple of months out of the year where there's barely any daylight at all. Where it's literally dark, right? Like, and and again, it's because it is so far north, right? Like, that's how it is. So, I mean, those are the trade-offs, in my opinion. Uh, Look, I don't really have a strong opinion about what we standardized on, if you standardize on standard time or daylight savings. My personal body clock probably prefers standard time more, but honestly, I don't care. I'm with Brie, and also Brie props for how colorful and unexpected (laughs) that rant was. Yeah, I had to take a lot of timestamps. Thanks, Brie. I'm sorry. Uh, uh, sorry. Thank you, Jim, for bleeping all that, but, but that was a great rant. Look, I don't really have strong opinions one way or another, except at this point, I'm done with it. And and it is notable, I should say, that one of the states that would be most impacted by this, presumably with the whole like, oh, well, kids are going to be going out on the school bus in the dark. Well, OK, first of all, uh, and, 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 and Simone, um, uh, get get your bleep um, marker ready. <laughs> you. No one cares. <laughs> when I was like in elementary school in Atlanta, where I'm where none of this matters at all. There were times when I got on the school bus in the dark. That's what happens. Shut the up your children will be fine um i don't care 
but that like it, we either pass it or we don't standardize on one thing, but this whole switching back and forth thing sucks for everyone. But it is notable that one of the biggest proponents of this bill, in fact, the co-sponsor of the bill was um, uh, Patty uh, Murray uh, from uh, Washington State. So like yeah. that's the, so, so the, a this dark is, this place. Is, this, is, this is this is right. So this is what's notable about all of this is that the two sponsors of the bill could not be more different, both um, ideologically, Mario, uh, Marco Rubio and, and Patty Murray. They are also, um, <laughs> if, you, if you think opposite about it, opposite corners they, of this they country. Are opposite corners, uh, exactly, opposite corners of the country. Like, uh, if you look in terms of the continental United States, you cannot get any further apart than where they are. Yeah. So, so that's that to me is again kind of one of these miracles of this even passing the Senate. Who now watch the House mess it am, up? Am but. I the only person that like depending on the time of the year, my day slightly shifts a bit? Like, depending on when it gets light and dark, like when it gets dark early, uh, you know, I end up waking up a little bit earlier naturally. Like, that that just happens to me. It's this stupid daylight savings time where it's like, bam! Like, and your body's like, I don't know what freaking time it is. It's awful. It like, is weird, like, and I truly yeah. don't get it. Like, also, the, the argument about, you know, coming home or going out in the dark, like, that happens with anyway. daylight and right. daylight yes. standard because like it, w- the sun with uh, daylight uh, with standard time sets here at like 4 p.m in the winter exactly. and it does suck to come home at 6 p.m in the pitch dark but it's fine like because right. you have the rest of the year where you know it won't do that even w- even if it were permanent daylight savings or permanent daylight standard and nobody except babies is going to bed at 7 p.m. anyway. <laughs> I don't care right. if the sun sets at 7 or earlier or after. Like, it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. What's interesting, too, is I and, and I believe this um, incorrectly. So I take back all the times that I've always said effing farmers every time daylight savings um, uh, crossed over. Apparently, the farmers don't even like it. Oh. Wow. Really? Yeah, that's what the the New York Times linked to something they wrote in 2016 about this. So, uh, and again, to be clear, we're all kind of arguing against daylight savings. And in fact, we'd be standardizing on it. But that's also the thing that makes the most sense because that's what we have nine months out of the year anyway. So, yeah, I, I honestly don't care between the two. Like, I, I feel like I, I like the fallback when it happens because that's when you get the extra hour. But then there right. is like the sadness of the sunset at 4 p.m. Again, that wouldn't matter if it were in place all year long. There is right. an interesting statistic from that, again, that New York Times piece. Uh, there's this 2017 study from Denmark where scientists found that the fall transition to standard time was associated with an 11% increase in depressive episodes, an effect mm-hmm. that took 10 weeks to dissipate. Um, which makes sense if you're suddenly like, oh my God, the sun was setting this time and now it's setting in the middle of right. my afternoon. Yeah, no, I mean, one, one of the proponents uh, for uh, doing uh, this sort of thing, especially with having like daylight savings uh, year round is like seasonal affective disorder, which is a real thing. You know, um, I, I've i um, uh, had the light therapy before and it's uh, definitely living in Washington state. It's made it even worse than it normally is. Mm-hmm. And so this is something that, yeah, like there are real things like like they they call it winter blues but it's seasonal affective disorder and it is a real phenomenon and like not that this will completely dissipate it but it certainly would be one of those things that i think you know because again you still have like the the rotation and the you know like tilt of of the earth is still going to be different at different times of the year but um this could help that so Mm -hmm. 
Now, there was kind of a, a, a tech-ish angle on this, was there not? Not that yes. our f- f- profanity-laced discussion wasn't wonderful. <laughs> but you right. were saying something about old phones, like, messing up around daylight savings right. time? Well, here's the thing. So one of the hardest problems to solve in computing, and this has always been the case, is time. And and so when daylight savings switched in 2007, and, and this is actually true internationally, because we're, of course, talking about how this would affect the United States. There have also been bills and there have been various resolutions. There's been something held up in the EU for years now where they would enact, they would give countries a choice of standardizing on uh, summertime or not. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but, but that, and that's been held up by, by the, the, the European commission apparently for, for, for years now, but, but it is something that's passed. Some other countries have their way of doing things too. I think Australia might've gotten rid of daily savings. I don't know. Anyway, the fact that um, everyone does it differently just drives me nuts as well. <laughs> right. Right. And, and, and so because of that, if you're trying to, you know, program timing and stuff, and it, so if you think about anything where you have any sort of anything, any sort of thing running on a, on a schedule, on a calendar, um, any sort of alarm going off, you know, a, a, a cron job, any sort of alert system, mm. um, that can all be impacted based on what time zone you're in. And so a lot of computers are programmed with like UTC or like the, you know, kind of the universal um, time, but um, that's not uh, always the case. Like for instance, and, and what I'd kind of pointed out about this is that, um, so Apple, this happened for a couple of years. And I actually remember one time it happened during South by Southwest, which is always the time of year when daylight savings starts. It always happens the, the, the weekend of South by at least South by interactive mm-hmm. where, and, and this was like the, the, the second or third or fourth time that this had happened with the iPhone where Apple had a, a hardware, like a software bug with daylight savings time and alarms didn't work. So oh. if you had a repeating alarm set up to work every day, it just stopped working. And I remember it this, I remember it from this year because like a billion people overslept <sighs> and, oh, um, no. like, oh yeah, it was bad. Right. Cause like you set your alarm and then it doesn't work. And, and that happens, that happened a number of times. Like if you go back and if you look like iPhone daylight savings bug, you can see like 2010, 2011, like you can find a bunch of stuff. Um, they, they had those problems extensively for years. They, they seemed to finally sort of that out, but that was a problem. Um, but this is a, this is an issue that you will definitely face. I think if they were to implement this, where until the systems were fixed, you would run into this sort of problem where Mm -hmm. there, there are edge cases and, and even like, like like I said, you know, the ideal thing is is to, you know, write your things to work in, in you know, UTC time, but um, that's not always possible. And a lot of systems, especially older systems, are hard-coded to switch the time to where they will have it set to be, you know, the, the, the first, um, you know, um, uh, Sunday in November um, will be when it takes, you know, uh, where, so when standard time takes effect the, and whatnot. So the mental bandwidth of millions of programmers. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it'll be a cluster, make no mistake, but in theory, in theory, this should be the sort of thing that like once you kind of fix it once, uh, you hopefully shouldn't have to ever worry about it again, in theory. But I mean, I, I can foresee a ton of, of of edge cases of this being like a problem uh, because uh, date offset, like like time offset stuff, you know, are you going plus, or are you going minus? Like time zones are just hard. I guess what I find really surprising about this passing unanimously in the Senate is, you know, that no one at like 
big Timex, you know, big alarm clock looked at this and said like, oh my God, we're going to have to refactor or redo the code and all of our, our clocks. This is going to cost us $2 million and rolled out to Kristen Cinema's office with like a suitcase of $20 bills. And was like, <laughs> yeah. throw the bin. We can't have this. And, you know, like I, I'm, I'm not joking because there is going to be a non-trivial uh, cost for industry to fix this. It's like, um, you know, in my, uh, in my case, in GTS, right? Like there's, um, I'm not sure that I can get it to not automatically change the time right? Uh, mm-hmm. in it. And there's going to be a lot of things like that. So no, totally. And you know, it, although again, in, in fairness, in 2007, when, when daylight savings was extended, that already happened. And there were systems and, and things in cars that either worked or they didn't. So, I mean, I think that I think the bigger stress would be for automated systems, things like like billing systems or, you know, things in, in hospitals or things that might be, again, like designed to be on an automated process where stuff is issued at a certain time. Um, I think that like people having to manually set the the clock back on their GPS an hour or, or on their cars being an hour forward or backward, you know, on, on, on their I mean, I had to do it on my microwave and my oven um, this week, like. Okay, that's that's going to be a thing that people do, and and if you do have something to set to to automatically change, yeah, you might still have to you know kind of like have some sort of like mental kind of you know check to be like, oh right, I need to to make sure that it doesn't automatically do that. But uh, I mean, th- there are always edge cases. I think the bigger uh, challenge, I think the bigger concern would be making sure that if you do have like government systems, uh, uh, payroll systems, um, things like that, that. Uh, have been set up automated a certain way that their code is updated so that that stuff doesn't get screwed up. All right. Well, we shall see how this bill progresses through the rest of our broken political system. Uh, <laughs> Don't let us down, Congress. All the Duke people good who for hate once. each other. Yeah. <laughs> um, and we will certainly let you know if it passes. This episode of Rocket is brought to you by our friends at Text Expander. You can keep everything consistent and accurate with Text Expander. In our fast-paced world, things change constantly, and errors in messaging can have significant consequences. Text Expander lets you make approved messaging available to every team member instantly with just a few keystrokes so that your team stays consistent, current, and accurate. With Text Expander, you can get your message right every time. Expand content that corrects your spelling and keeps your language consistent with just a few keystrokes so that your team members always know the right message for the right person at the right time without relying on memory or copy and paste. I can tell you one example that, again, if this bill passes through Congress, will be super relevant. Because if we only have EDT, Eastern Daylight Time, you will no longer ever need to write EST or PST again. And you might need Text Expander to correct that for you or the opposite of that if that's what ends up happening. You might need something that'll say, hey, this is an error. We're actually in Eastern Daylight Time and change that right away. That would be an excellent and appropriate use of Text Expander. As a listener of Rocket, you can get 20% off your first year. Just visit textexpander.com slash podcast to learn more about Text Expander. That is textexpander.com slash podcast. Our thanks to Text Expander for their support of this show and Relay FM. 
All right, we've got some processor news for the rest of the show. So AMD is releasing a bunch of new processors in the sub $300 range, going as low as $99. So initially, their whole 5000 series uh, Ryzen chips were uh, over $300. Now they are exploring the lower end of that range. Uh, The new ones that they're adding to the 5000 series are based on their most recent Zen 3 architecture, while the cheapest of the line still uses the 2019 era Zen 2 architecture. Um, But it's looking like these things, according to this piece from Ars Technica, might end up being Somewhat fast and good, 15% faster uh, for the $449 uh, processors. What do y'all think about this news? Um, I think it's great that they, I, I mean, I think that like the the one with like the 3D uh, RAM stuff or whatever, or whatever they're calling it, um, I think that the for, for gamers, like that could be something that's impressive. Um, uh, Intel, ironically, has kind of come back with a vengeance with their 12th gen processors, uh, at least for gaming stuff. Like the the, the, the uh, Alder Lake stuff is really good from from what all the benchmarks say, which is good because it's kind of taken them a couple of years to, to even catch up to what AMD was releasing at the end of 2019. Um, so I think that the that 449, uh, uh, you know, part which they say is better than even like the the 5900X, which I have in my gaming PC. Um, I think that's potentially really good. But I'm actually more excited, I think, by the fact that they are they have entry level um, or, or mid level kind of like like chips again, because mm-hmm. that was a market that AMD used to be really active in, and then sort of ceded to Intel, and and AMD kind of became you know okay, well this is where you go if you you know want to spend you know minimum of about three hundred dollars, and so. Uh, even though it's still difficult and expensive to get a GPU, although hopefully that'll be improving soon, I think it's great that we're seeing you know more of that sort of thing. So that that's that's a nice thing, especially with inflation and and everything else going on. It's nice to see like some solid you know chips getting released mm-hmm. for for entry level people. Yeah, hundred percent. And you know, for me, I've got the hookup with uh, my friend Christina Warren. Who will <laughs> always get me the fastest bestest most badass like you know when they put out the 4090 i'm gonna be knocking on christina's door <laughs> like come on give me the hook on but i mean for normal people that don't have awesome friends uh this is great news for you i was also like really surprised because my first thought when i started reading this story like it's the first story it's the first thing you think of when any story about gpus comes out it's like had they fixed the supply chain issue yeah mm-hmm. can you actually get these things and i was was really surprised. There was a, a really big report that came out at the beginning of the month, um, and not that it's completely solved yet, but it is getting much better finally. So, uh, you know, not just these, but other GPUs, they're going to be more available soon. So, um, I can't tell you how many people I've talked to in the last two or three years. They've been like, you know, I'm, I'm literally still rocking my pre-pandemic GPU, right? And I want to play Elden Ring or something like that and I just I don't have a computer that run it can run it so um yeah you know, I'm glad to see the the pipes kind of moving again uh let's hope that cryptocurrency miners don't rob this don't ruin it again. for the rest of us yeah and it's it is a an auspicious moment because I think we are still in a time when a lot of people 
you know, are trying to build their home PCs, people who have pivoted more to working from home, people also who just have maybe been gaming more during the pandemic. I've just anecdotally, even within my own circle, heard from a lot of people who are saying, huh, now is the time to build my home PC. And the fact that there's going to be more options in the the budget range of that, super exciting, uh, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so apparently AMD is bringing out their 7000 series later this year, but this mm-hmm. uh, specific one that we mentioned, the Ryzen 7 5800X3D, I'm so sorry, this is 5800X3D, good God, it will go on sale uh, April 20th, that's again the $449 one. Uh, in unfortunate news on the chip front, over at ARM, There are rumored layoffs after the failure of the NVIDIA deal. NVIDIA was um, in discussions to purchase ARM from SoftBank for $40 billion. Uh, They were prevented from doing that because uh, regulators and also um, industry customers like Microsoft and others were like, don't, (laughs) please don't. (laughs) Uh, That deal fell through, although apparently now NVIDIA owes uh, SoftBank money for not being able to buy, they owe them like a right. billion dollars. Yeah. Right? Yeah, they, they have they have they have, they have to pay the 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 um um like a whatever it's called the the, the breakup fee or whatever. There, yeah, there, there's a fee that that's involved. The big there's a term for fee. Yeah, there's a certain term for it. That arm will lay off up to a thousand employees potentially in the U.S. and the U.K. So somewhere between twelve and fifteen percent, the upper range of that being a thousand people, uh, which would very much suck. So I have, sorry about my voice. Um, I had a question I did not quite understand about this. And I wanted to ask you about it, Christina. So, you know, I understand they were like dependent on the NVIDIA deal coming through, but even the piece itself points out that, um, you know, Apple's, uh, you know, M1 chips to a certain degree do use ARM technology. Yeah, they do. So, yeah. But they're not fabbing the chips. Are they no. just licensing? They're like, just licensing the, underlying... the instruction set. They're just right. licensing the instruction set, which is a very common thing. Like, like that's okay. also what Qualcomm does. That's also what uh, Samsung does. Um, uh, and and um, so they they have the instruction set, which I'm not trying to take anything away from that, but that's different than you know what uh, you know. AM, uh, Arm doesn't doesn't fab chips anyway. They they come up with like designs that other companies can fab themselves or in the case of Apple and some others, they can take the instructions head and then create their, their entire uh, own unique designs. So, I mean, but I, I'm just trying to put this into perspective because on one hand, yeah, obviously just the instruction set and licensing that out, I would imagine that's not for a company like Apple, this is huge as it is. That's got to be a substantial part of revenue, but not enough to like run the entire chip development company. Um, I think that there, I think that the way that the fee works, if I'm not mistaken, I believe that they don't pay a per chip fee. I believe that they pay a flat fee to license the instruction set and that's it. So, 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 and, and that's a failure of arms, maybe previous model, right? Maybe that's a failure of ARM's business model when they were a public company before SoftBank bought them. Um, uh, that also could maybe also be one of the only ways that that they can kind of work in, in the way that they work. Um, I, I, I don't know all the specifics around that, but Apple's not paying ARM a fee per chip that it sells. Uh, they, they, because they've designed their own, they purchased like an outright license to the instruction set 
and then they can do with it whatever they want. So do you think that they are like, what's the sudden, like, it seems to me ARM has really won overall. Yeah, do you know what I mean? Like that line of, of thinking when it comes to consumer electronics, like what's kind of the core reason that they're, that they're like having to cut jobs here? Is it that Apple is, you know, fabbing their own chips no. and, and that's no. not a core reason? Like, I don't think so at all. What's kind of going on? No, I don't. I don't. I don't think that has anything to do with it, uh, because Apple has never. Apple's been fabbing its own chips since the A series in like two thousand nine, um, so or two thousand ten rather. So, so for for twelve years now, Apple's been fabbing its own chips or, or making its own unique designs rather. Um, and so, I think what this is is, and I mentioned this the last time we talked about kind of the break apart of of this deal, and it is a breakup fee. That is the correct term. I, I was right. That's what it, you know. It, um, it, it's you know like two billion dollars or something that um, Nvidia is going to have to to give them. Um, I think what the problem was is that you had a company that I'm not sure what their profit margin is. Uh, it might have been very good, but I don't think that it was anything on the level of like what NVIDIA or Intel or AMD's profit margin is. Um, and I, because they have a different business model, which is licensing their stuff, it's just, a, it's just a different model. I think that they were acquired probably for more money than they maybe should have been acquired for uh, by SoftBank. And SoftBank, I don't think ran the business very well. SoftBank <laughs> also, no, this is honestly the, true. The people behind WeWork, I just can't believe right. it. It's yeah, shocking. I, 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 yeah. I don't think SoftBank ran the business well. They wound up losing the uh, China, um, Arm China wound up being kind of taken over in like a really weird, depending on who you believe in the reporting on this is, is sketchy and it's sketchy by design because a lot of the sources come from people who are in the semiconductor industry who are based in China and aren't always reliable on the sources. And so um, there, there's been back and forth and various things people have said, but some of the reporting at least seems to indicate that it was kind of a coup where uh, the like the the Chinese government basically kind of stole Arm China away from Arm, um, which would obviously be a significant uh, part of their business. Um, I don't think that it, the CEO uh, of Arm had already announced that he was leaving um, and and that some new person was taking over. But uh, you know. I, my personal take is I don't think that this was a well-managed company to begin with, especially when you look at the fact that what NVIDIA was looking to spend on this company was not much more than what SoftBank paid for it five or six years previous, which to me is a problem. Like if you're, and, and, and also SoftBank was sought to sell. This wasn't like NVIDIA came in and was like, we want to buy you. This was like SoftBank was looking for a buyer and NVIDIA was the one who stepped up and did the due diligence and the other stuff. No one else came in. So, so SoftBank, um, now their options are they need to, they, they're going to make it public again, probably at a smaller, you know, lower mm. valuation than, than what it had before. So unfortunately, cause it sucks to see people laid off. Like, I, I don't know. My, my take is, um, I mean, arm uh, processors do absolutely dominate, um, you know, the, the, the mobile and lower end uh, of the spectrum, every phone, every kind of, you know, like a smaller form factor device and whatnot is, is using things with an ARM instruction set. But, um, I just don't think it was a well-managed company. So stay with me here because I think, I think this may be what is kind of going on here. So I, I saw a report a while back that really put in, in context for me, what's happening with large sections of the economy, particularly like with SoftBank. So 
you know, like 40 years ago, there was this uh, belief that you could put uh, money in a bond, right? And you would get a return on a bond and people would do things like that or savings accounts at banks. That was kind of how if you had a lot of money, you would get that money back. Uh, One of the things that's changed over my lifetime is if you have a lot of money, you go and you put it in the stock market, right? And you get a certain amount of return. And what is happening, particularly with venture capital companies and you know large institutions like Stockbank, uh, SoftBank, is they've got to constantly get that return for investors, right? Like it's got to go up by eight, nine, ten percent. You've constantly got to get get more money. And what you're seeing over and over again is they're going into these rock solid businesses, right? And they're doing exactly what you kind of described, Christina. Like, let's juice it up. Let's do an IPO. Let's spin it off. Let's make some money this way. Then let's let's have a deal. You know, we're going to make money on the deal. And it's all part of this play to constantly make money for investors. The only problem is it kind of fundamentally undermines businesses that are are doing good work at the at the beginning of it. So this the way you describe it, it just kind of reminds me of that. Yeah, no, I mean, and 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 SoftBank is is not um, a private equity uh, firm, sure. but they do, but they do operate in a similar way, and right. and definitely, you know, I mean, it, it it has been, you know, like like it, it it's Vision Fund, which is what I think was what funded we work and whatnot, like uh, um, Masayoshi Son, um, you know, a lot of his bets early on paid off, and and people kind of looked at him as somebody who. Okay, he's eccentric and and he makes kind of strange decisions and strange investments, but you can't you know um, deny the fact that that in Japan they've been incredibly successful and some of his other investments and in various things have been incredibly successful. And uh, but but then he's made questionable things, right? Like I mean, my my favorite is always like they were the ones who made the decision to buy Sprint, which like. <sighs> Um, and and paid a lot of money for Sprint when when Sprint was was uh, the the U.S. mobile carrier, which you know it was not in good straits. They they overpaid for it. Um, they he they famously wanted like at one point Sprint wanted to acquire T-Mobile. That didn't happen. T-Mobile was smaller. What wound up happening was T-Mobile acquired Sprint. Um, and and you know uh, Masayoshi's son lost an incredible amount of money on that. Like that was that was a complete Ouch. fail. Um, I don't know if, you know, we work, obviously they, they lost, you know, billions on that. Um, they'd made, you know, um, I think one of their earliest bets, and, and this was the thing that, that wound up being kind of like the thing that made them was that they made, um, a $20 million, um, uh, investment in Alibaba, uh, in 1999 or excuse me, in 2000. And that became worth 60 billion. Wow. Yeah, that'll so, do so, it. So, tw- <laughs> so, 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 twenty million to sixty billion—that's that's, a bit that of money to, be, to play with that, and a lot of that, confidence. <laughs> absolutely, and that has to be one of the best investments uh, yeah. returns like <laughs> that, that you can ever imagine, right? So, you, you all you need is that really big one, and that's going to buy other funds like the the Saudi sovereign wealth fund and other places to give you money to then make big bets. And and I just don't think it, it's it's worked out. But I think you're right. Where what has happened is that you have these relatively boring and maybe kind of stayed industries that maybe have some growth potential, but don't have the growth that um, people who are looking for the the 10x, 20x, 30x returns are ever going to see. Uh, again, like, could ARM have, like, bring in more revenue? Well, yeah, they would probably need to change some of their licensing terms. 
if they did that, that would also, unfortunately for ARM, put them in a pretty negative position because there's um, a, 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 another processor. Uh, this is kind of going off on a tangent, but what the hell? This is this is me. You know this. So there is another <laughs> um, um, instruction set uh, known as uh, the, the the Risk Five instruction set, and and this is important. Risk Five uh, systems are, are not in mainstream use yet, but this is kind of a, a patent free, license free model. And so a oh. lot of people see Risk Five as the future because you won't have to pay for any sort of you know uh, uh, license or or anything like that, like you do with ARM or with x eighty six. Um, or whatever the case may be. Who's developing it? How does how does that? Um, it 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 it's it's got a bunch of different people who are behind it, but it's an open instruction set, and and it began in in 2010. A lot of people are contributing to it, but the whole idea is that it is an open instruction set, and so. Yeah. The this whole thing is, and you see a lot of people who are investing in, it. and so this sort of thing where. Um, so it started in academia, but it's going to go in, into industry. It's still a long way off, to be clear, but. You could see the problem that if ARM wanted to change its licensing terms, so the next time, and in ARM also, the way their instruction sets work is that they don't update them very often. They're updated maybe every decade or so. And then people build different chips based on that instruction set going forward. Mm. So if if ARM, so at this point, you know, Apple owns a perpetual license to the, I guess it's the ARM V8 like instruction set. If when the next instruction set came out, if ARM wanted to change the terms of how the license worked, there would be nothing to force Apple to license that. They could, depending on, on on where risk is, say, okay, well, we're just going to use this open instruction set and create our own, and we're not going to pay you anything. And other companies could do that too. Qualcomm could do that too. Samsung could do that too. You know, the, these other, uh, all the, the Chinese manufacturers could do that too. So ARM is in this interesting position where it is the utterly dominant uh, processor architecture that is in the, you know, uh, you know, millions of different devices. Uh, but that's not a guaranteed thing. And if they were to change their licensing model to make it so that people had to pay them more, there is something that is coming up in the background that could completely subsume them and disrupt them the same way that they disrupted other, you know, like, like X86. Yeah, that totally makes sense to me. And, you know, I think that kind of gets to my core point. Like what all of us here on this show need from ARM is you then to be really developing that instruction set, right? Like how can we do this uh, so it's more energy efficient, right? Like how can we come up with processes that can you know, really compete with the most powerful Intel chips, right? That's what we need. We need them to be doubling down on that and making it even more useful for people more than we need an investment to like get that sweet 9, 10, 12% return on their stock. You know, growth is not infinite. So right. I, I just think it's it's kind of a sad story because it's such a, it's such a, this is one of those companies that just touches your life every single day, mm. even if you're not thinking about it. And no, I just, totally. I know it's I, a shame. Yeah, yeah, I hate seeing SoftBank F them up. So. Yeah, same. Yeah. I mean, this is kind of what I said when we talked about this last time. You might have actually not been here, um, Bree, when that happened. Mm. But um, I, like, even though I was not, like, in favor, per se, of the NVIDIA deal, I was also, in a lot of ways, I almost felt like, okay, well, that might be the best, NVIDIA might be the best steward, you know? And right. I still and I still kind of feel that way, to be honest. Um, not to say that there wouldn't have been layoffs if, if the NVIDIA acquisition had gone through, because there certainly would have been redundancies. I don't think you'd see 15% of your staff laid off. Yeah. Um, and, and so I think that 
I don't know, this is something to consider when people, you know, kind of are oftentimes, I think, knee-jerkly against uh, acquisitions, um, that there are consequences to that too. So, and, and, and this is unfortunately one of them. And I, I hope that um, the new um, CEO of ARM can can write things around. And I hope that going forward, they they can, you know, whether it's as a public company or something else, I hope that they can continue to to do the very important work that they do. This episode of Rocket is brought to you by Pocket Casts. Pocket Casts. How good is the app that you're currently using to listen to this podcast? Does it mix your music and podcasts into one confusing experience? Does it have all the features that you need? Is it thoughtfully designed by people that listen to podcasts each and every day? Well, why not try something new? Pocket Cast is built by podcast listeners for podcast listeners. No matter how you listen to podcasts, Pocket Cast has you covered. Pocket Cast seamlessly syncs your listening progress across iOS, Android, web, and it supports Amazon Alexa and Sonos smart speakers. With CarPlay, Android Auto, and even Android Automotive support, you can listen in your car too. You can enjoy the vibrant, constantly updated discovery section so you can find your next podcast with ease. And Pocket Cast has Apple Watch support, including offline playback for when you're jogging without your phone. Plus, AirPlay and Chromecast support too. It's also fun to check out your listening history and stats. And this is a clever feature. It automatically rewinds podcasts a tiny bit if it's been a while since you listened, which is super duper useful. You can just catch up easily that way. Uh that that's very that that's very rules you guys. That's very that rules. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> we have me. the episode title. Daylight we savings episode, time. That very that very that rules. Very rules. That very yeah. rules. Personally my listening history probably looks it, horrifying right now because <laughs> I, as I've discussed before I listen to podcasts to fall asleep and then if I wake up in the middle of the night I have to put the podcast back on to fall asleep mm-hmm. but you too can be like me and and look at stats and go <gasps> pocket cast is completely free to use but as a listener of this show you get some exclusive benefits go to pocketcasts.com slash rocket to download Pocket Casts and redeem a six-month free trial of all the premium features in Pocket Casts Plus. And if you're already a Pocket Casts user but you haven't tried Pocket Casts Plus yet, you too can redeem this offer. Go to pocketcast.com slash rocket to find out more. Our thanks to Pocket Casts for their support of this show and Relay FM. That was your finest work. Thank that was you. so good. Also, Pocket Cast is very good. Um, also, uh, just I we finished with the topic, but I but I found this, um, uh, and I I actually wasn't aware of this until I, I found it, or if I was, I forgot about it. But there was a job posting that apparently Apple had posted in September where they were looking for someone in Risk Five uh, with Risk Five kind of experience. So um, it, they're certainly exploring that as an alternative. Um, although I, I believe that they're like, like I said, they have a perpetual kind of infinite license, uh, with, with arm stuff, uh, right now, but that doesn't mean that, you know, they might not just be like, screw you. We want to do our own thing. All right. 
For our final segment today, we actually have a special guest on, and that person is Larry Cooperman. He's the director of business development at Night Dive Studios. Night Dive makes a bunch of like really, really good remasters of older games. Uh, obviously, System Shock being a main one. They've done Doom 64, Quake, uh, all kinds of stuff. Uh, but today, Larry's on the show talking about us. Oh, also, for a fun fact that I just wrote down, Larry is a former theater major from NYU. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, for those of you who aren't us, we were talking about this in the pre-show. Um, Larry is actually on today for a really good and also somewhat serious cause, uh, which is that Night Dive is involved in the upcoming Humble Bundle for Ukraine. Uh, so this is a bundle of games that is being put on sale and all proceeds will go to relief efforts like food, shelter and medical supplies for families in Ukraine. Uh, that bundle is going to be on sale through the second half of March and Night Dive has donated $2 million worth of System Shock Enhanced uh, enhanced Edition keys to that effort. Uh, Larry, welcome to the show. Thank you for being on. Hi, hi. Uh, just uh, by way of explanation, uh, how a, a theater major ended up as a director of business development, I uh, I tell everyone I, I act like I know what I'm doing. <laughs> that, you say yes and a lot? Yes. <laughs> Perfect. And that's how you ended up here tonight. <laughs> Could you tell us a little bit about uh, about this bundle and uh, and sure. what you're hoping to accomplish here? Sure. The the, the entire game industry has been um, deeply impacted by by the terrible situation that's going on in the Ukraine, and um, I think as an industry, we're working collectively to to do what we can to to relieve some of the suffering there, um, to help the people there, and 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 address the humanitarian crisis. Night Dive is one of, of a number of companies that will be um, contributing to uh, the Humble's uh, Stand with the Ukraine Bundle. And the, the charities that are being supported for that, first of all, um, Humble has been extraordinary in this. Um, they are donating 100% of, of all proceeds. So there's, there's no money that goes to publishers. There's no money being kept by Humble. Um, they're underwriting all the costs of, of the bundle. And companies like Night Dive are, are contributing freely with, without uh, compensation to this. Um, some of the charities that we're supporting are the uh, International Rescue Committee, um, International Medical Corps, uh, direct Relief, uh, which uh, works to improve the lives and helps of people um, affected by poverty or emergency, um, and a number of, of other organizations. Um, so we're, we're really honored to be able to, uh, to contribute to that. No, that's awesome. You know, I think like, as you said, as the entire industry, we're trying to figure out, like, we see this horror and it's like, what what do we do about this? So for people out there that maybe don't know what we're talking about when we say humble, can you just tell people a little bit about sure. that? Give them a background about what uh, they could do if they wanted to uh, basically uh, uh, get some games and also uh, do something really good for the people in Ukraine. Humble Bundle has been around for, for a number of years. Um, it is an organization that, well, there, there are a couple of different parts of the Humble organization, but the Humble Bundle itself is an organization that creates um, fundraisers using not just games, um, but also books, um, written materials, including comics, um, music to support charitable organizations. So they work on basically a, um, a pay-what-you-want um, model, for, for many of the bundles, and, and it varies depending on, on what charity is being supported and, and what the drive is, but for, for many of the bundles, um, 
you can pay as little as you know as, as a penny or as or as much as you want and, and companies and, and individuals do donate um well beyond the, the asking price to uh, purchase the bundle the bundles typically come in the form of steam keys or direct downloads um, some of them are drm free um, others um, you know work on on various uh, different different formats um, and you, you're able to purchase the merchandise there and a portion of all proceeds goes to uh, goes to charities humble also maintains a store which is which is separate from the bundling process um, that that sells products you know for, for pure commercial but um, the thing that they're best known for is their is their support of charities and they've raised a huge amount of money over the years remind me has night dive uh, worked with humble bundle before yes we've uh, we've worked with humble um for for many years uh i, I just celebrated my uh, my eighth anniversary at, at night dive and um which just goes to show that you know night dive has has very low standards um <laughs> uh, but uh um that we've we've been working with humble since uh since i've been there and um it's you know it's a great it's a great organization um and and deserving of support so yeah the long and short of it is you know you can go to when does this go live again larry goes on sale on friday at 11 a.m pacific uh daylight time sweet so we'll we'll put a link to where you can do that uh you know on friday in the show notes but basically if you look at this you can go um you can go donate to this you'll get a whole ton of games you know uh system shock if you've never played it before it is really up there with ocarina of time it's one of the the best games our industry has ever produced it's a wonderful story, fantastic uh, antagonist for it. It it was a precursor to so many trends that uh, just it was breakthrough at the time. And today you just take it for granted. So um, it is it is truly a great game. Uh, I'm sure there's going to be other games there. So you know you can make a donation. You can help the people in Ukraine, and uh, you know you can get a bunch of uh, awesome games at the same time. So it's a win win. I, I always like to, to refer to that kind of thing as, uh, as 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 doing good by doing well. You know, you get you get games at a at a discount price, but you're also uh, able to to help with a you know truly deserving humanitarian effort. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on, Larry. Uh, once again, I'll have that link in the show notes so people can check it out. Uh, and yeah, I really appreciate your time. Uh, no worries. Um, I I just would like to uh, you know to to give a shout out to to some of the other. Um, parts of the industry that are supporting yeah, um, humanitarian efforts. Um, one of the first ones to, uh, to do the, to, to, to really heed the call was, uh, 11 bit studios. I have a good friend there, Paul Feldman, um, 11 bit makes a number of, of games, including Frostpunk, but, um, they, they particularly donated, uh, did a fundraiser involving a title called this war of mine. Um, that that I often use in in classes about the the horrors of the war uh, of of wars. I mean, it's a phenomenal game. It's it's really captivating, but it's it's also very educational. And then one of the uh, the other companies that um, that certainly deserves um, some some applause is uh, is Embracer. Um, they are the, uh, the the company behind THQ Nordic. Um, they they own a, a whole bunch of other other companies. Uh, Coke Media, who's who's our publisher on the uh, the system shock remake um embracer as a company donated one million dollars to the relief efforts in the ukraine and then the um the, the ceo of the company lars wingerfors 
uh, personally donated one million dollars. So you know the whole gaming industry is um, is, is standing behind um, behind the efforts to to improve things in the Ukraine. Thank you. Thank you so much. That's amazing. Any final thoughts? Uh, just you know, when it comes to uh, what what this is actually going to support, uh, you can consider it is probably going to be a long war in Ukraine, un- unfortunately. And when you think about all the people stuck in the major cities, you know, getting them food, getting them medicine, getting them supplies, uh, that really is going to be the difference in uh, victory and success. You know, um, armies and you know certainly resistance fighters, you can't win if you can't eat. <laughs> So, um, you know, this is, I, I would really encourage people, like, go read the stories about this, read what's happening to civilians. It is truly horrific. And, um, you know, it's it's very, 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 very worth your while uh, to donate to a cause like this. Three, three million Ukrainians have, uh, have have been forced to, to leave their home country and have been taken in by surrounding uh, areas of Poland, Romania, Hungary. Um, and and part parts of the the funds that are being um, raised also will go to support those countries that are taking in uh, the refugees. You know, I, I, if you haven't seen it, um, a number of places in Poland have donated strollers so that people who've been forced to evacuate with with young children when they when they get across the border they 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 at last have a, a stroller to to put their kids in. So um, your heart just has to has to go out to people that are suffering like that. Hundred percent. Thank you, uh, Larry, for coming on the show. And once again, that link will be in the show notes for everyone to peruse as they wish. Before we go, we've got one more, uh, I think, quick update, and we are going to make this quick. Uh, Anna Delvey is officially actually being deported back to Germany. So she had been uh, arrested by ICE um, and detained And she has lost her bid to stay in the United States. And so she's being deported. And she actually then went on to say some incredibly intelligent things about our immigration system. Uh, In an interview uh, from a piece on the New York Times, she said, the system is predatory. You're set up for failure. Uh, Notes that she was like in detainment, kept with many people who couldn't actually afford legal representation that she could. Um, And that lawyers are not provided free of charge to people in immigration cases, which is, as she notes, predatory and it's BS. Uh, But yeah, there she goes. What do you think she's going to do back in Germany? Scams. Scams? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Scams. Let's talk about what we're doing this week. Uh, Brianna, what are you up to? Oh, well, it was it was such a relaxing weekend getting uh, death threats from Harry Potter fans for oh, no. criticizing J.K. Rowling. So, you know, I'm just, uh, I'm so relaxed from that fun adventure. Um, no, in all seriousness, uh, GDC is next week, so I'm prepping for that, uh, which is very, very exciting and working on a whole bunch of projects. Christina, what about you? Um, I am, um, just, uh, I'm watching TV. I'm, uh, trying to, but like not the news because it's horrifying. Um, oh. and so I actually, one thing I did want to mention, um, it's not out yet and I don't need, it hasn't been sold. So I don't know when it'll be out, but I had a chance because South by Southwest was this week. And although I didn't go to Austin, um, I did have a chance to watch some of the, the films, um, that were, um, uh, the debut there, including, 
Casey Neistat's documentary, Under the Influence, which is uh, about David Dobrik. And and it started before all of his various scandals. And um, it's really good, actually. So uh, highly recommend that. But no, I'm just kind of I'm just chilling, like doing doing some work things. Um, I um, uh, will have some stuff to announce around that in a couple of weeks. And uh, that's basically it. Cool. Uh, I am still playing Elden Ring and enjoying my new M1 MacBook Pro, which I will eventually talk about if we manage to get a show in that is a normal length. Um, (laughs) Can can I ask where you are in Elden Ring? uh, Yes, I am in West Lyernia. Um, I am looking to get into a certain magical place. So I found an exploit. I mean, I didn't find it. I found a YouTube video that told me how to do the exploit <laughs> that will give you 3 million runes an hour. So now my character is at one level 170, and I can one-shot many, many enemies in the game. I'm working on the quest line to do Stars of Ruin. And, uh, well, I got Stars of Ruin, but, like, the really big, like, killer spells in the game. So I got to tell you, I'm pretty close to a broken Elden Ring, so oh, I'm excited oh, about oh, that. Nice. I th- I feel like for me I I kind of I I was thinking about it and I realized I kind of don't want to do like rune farming exploits anymore because I I I I don't want it to be too easy. <laughs> <laughs> um, not that I'm good at it by any means. I'm still quite bad, but um, I'm really like enjoying the the playing of it. Um, I'm going to put a mark in my calendar so I remember this day. So a hmm. month from now when, when it I breaks ask you, you for the <laughs> you're like, <laughs> yeah, like there's some the, brutal boss battles coming oh up. Oh my God. Yeah. All right, Brianna, where can we find you online so that we can ask I, you about the exploit? <laughs> <laughs> you can find me on, uh, you can find me on Twitter at Brianna Wu. And Christina. You can find me at Twitter uh, and Instagram on at film underscore girl and you can find the videos that i do at work um including the download with christina warren at youtube.com slash microsoft developer and you can find me on twitter and instagram at doom quasar and my videos at youtube.com slash polygon thank you so much for listening to rocket if you enjoyed it i hope you will leave a five-star review on apple podcasts or the podcast uh device thing service of your choice Thank you so much, everyone. This episode of Rocket is terminated. 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 Terminated.